Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of uh, Everyday Truth. Had to think about what I was going to say there for a second. It's been a busy day. We're in Jeremiah chapter number three uh, today, so I hope you'll find your place there uh, in your own copy of the Bible. You know, I was thinking about our study of Jeremiah, and it's a primarily negative section here of Jeremiah as we hear the judgment of God's people and all that they're doing wrong and the pleading of God to repent, to get right. And if we're not careful sometimes when we go to the Bible, we'll just kind of sit there in those negative spots and it'll beat us up emotionally. And what we need to understand is that God, by offering rebuke, by showing sin, is really staging toward hope. Because in order to have blessing, in order to gain salvation in its various forms, we have to deal with the sin issue. Even coming to Christ for justification, for salvation, we have to admit that we're sinners, right? We have to deal with the sin issue. I took a course many years ago in counseling, and I'll never forget one of the key principles I learned in that course. And it was... A counselor must be oriented toward hope. So in counseling, many times we deal with issues and the negativities, and sometimes you you view a situation and it's almost as if this is hopeless. Uh, This couple will never get back together. This situation will never get better. But a counselor needs to be oriented toward hope. Why? Because God is a God of hope, and there is an answer, and there is hope And we're going to find that in the book of Jeremiah. And we see little threads of that throughout the book of Jeremiah. And I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be careful to point that out. We'll even see it today in the midst of some really heinous sin on the part of God's people. We still see hope. And I want us to see that. So Jeremiah chapter three, verse number one the Lord continues to deal with the spiritual adultery of his people. And he says in verse one, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? So stop there for a moment. What Jeremiah is referring to in his message, what the Lord is referring to here is the law of God, specifically, I think it's Deuteronomy 24. But the point is that God prohibited his people from marrying and then divorcing and then going back and remarrying the woman whom he had divorced. Why? To protect the sanctity of marriage, to protect the concept that marriage is not disposable. And if a man leaves his wife and divorces and marries another person, then it's not right to divorce that other person and go back to that first marriage. Two wrongs don't make a right. And what kind of nation would that be if marriage were that disposable? 
if marriages were that inter- interchangeable, it would really affect the dynamic, the moral fabric of the entire country. That's the point there behind the whole land would be polluted. And I think there's a, another principle for us to consider about that as well. And that is that so as goes marriage, so goes society. I think that's the larger principle. That is that a society really is only a collection of individuals and the most nuclear relationship in society is the marriage relationship. And if that is disposable, if that is expendable, if that is treated in a laissez-faire type of way, then that's going to affect the entire country because a country is built upon the foundation of those nuclear relationships, like a man and a woman in marriage, like a family. And if those be destroyed, then society itself is going to come apart at its seams. Look at verse number one again. Shall not that land be greatly polluted, but, so here's the application that the Lord makes, but thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. So the Lord said, as far as you're concerned, you would never consider marrying somebody, divorcing, marrying somebody else, and then going back to that first marriage. Everybody sees how wrong that would be. That's the point of the first half of verse one. And yet you're doing that to me. You're being like a prostitute and you're going out and having relationships with anybody and everybody And yet my call to you is, but come back, but come back. I'll still take you back. Think about the relentless love of God in that situation. What human being would do that? What human being would know that his spouse had been loose like a prostitute, had slept with all of these other men, and yet you would still say, but I'll take you back. Come back to me. That's the Lord's heart. We see it poignantly displayed in the prophet uh, Hosea. Remember, Hosea actually married a wife who ended up becoming a prostitute. And Hosea went back to the slave market of sin and and purchased her back and loved her. And it was a great picture of God's unfailing, steadfast, hesed love for you and me. Look at verse number two. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been, see where thou hast not been lying with, where you have not lay with women, where you have not committed adultery. In the ways, in the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. So the Lord continues to make the case about their sin. He said, Hey, look around. Look up at all the high places. So so the high places were the places of worship, of false worship. That's why the Bible talks about the high place or the grove or the idols. That that was the worship of Baal and and Ashtaroth, which was the female god, the the consort of, of Baal. And the worship of these gods of fertility involved sexual practices, a temple prostitution, a religious prostitution. And so when people would worship these false gods, they would also participate in sexual activity with prostitutes. So this is both a figurative rebuke 
and a physical rebuke to say, look up on the high places. Where have you not committed sin? Where have you not lain with men? Where have you not committed this kind of adultery? But it goes beyond that because worshiping false gods is in itself a spiritual adultery. Remember that verse in James chapter 4 where it says, uh, "Be not uh, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world will be an enemy of God. Uh, that's not the verse. Maybe it's the verse before it. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. That's the verse I wanted to point out. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. So James there was calling out infidelity to the Lord as spiritual adultery. And so these are not easy verses to read. And yet this is God's perspective. Why? Because God views us as his bride. And he views us relationally, just like he viewed the nation uh, of Judah here as his bride that was being unfaithful. So the Lord views his church today as his bride. And there's a need for us to be faithful to him. The Apostle Paul used that exact imagery throughout his epistles, but especially in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 16, or 2 Corinthians, I should say, chapter number 13. Look at verse number uh, 3. Therefore... The showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast had thou thou hadst a whore's prostitute's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. So in verse three, the Lord begins to say, and don't think that there have not been consequences for your spiritual adultery. Don't think that. I've not tried to get your attention in ways other than just words and my word and my rebuke and these messages. Remember what God said to his people back in Deuteronomy. That is, if you turn from me, then I will touch your agriculture. I will affect the rain. Uh, Drought will come. So God used economic distress to get the people of God's attention. We find that throughout the Bible. Remember the book of of Haggai, where he said, I've been touching your agriculture for years, but you've not been listening. I've been trying to get your attention. And so it is here that the the rain has been affected. Then he says this, you have a prostitute, a harlot, a whore's forehead. And what that means is you're brazen. You're unashamed of your sin. You're doing this but you act as if it's no big deal. You do this, but your conscience has been impinged and and calloused and seared. And so you're living in this kind of sin and you don't seem to have any compunctions about it. And that itself should be a grave warning to you that you can sin in demonstrable ways and not feel badly about it that you can sin in these spiritual adult, spiritually adulterous ways and yet not even try to hide it. Should that not itself be a rebuke to you? So tough verses, strong language, but remember a threat of hope. Return to me. I love you. I know how far you've gone, but there's my door is open. I'm waiting like that Loving Father, at the end of the road, come home, O prodigal son. And what a great God and loving God 
we serve. His mercy, His, His goodness follow us, don't they? Well, I hope that helps today. We'll jump into verse number four next time. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.